0: Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. As the pandemic shows signs of ending, many are emerging from the last year and a half surprised at the isolation that's resulted from our time apart. Loneliness was something that was likely unavoidable for many during periods of the lockdown and isolation, but its effects can be serious and lasting. So today I reached out to Dr. Richard Schwartz from our Valentine's show on love to talk about the other end of the spectrum, and that is loneliness. Well, he joined me, but also brought his research partner, co-author, wife, and partner, Dr. Jacqueline Olds. Drs. Jacqueline Olds and Richard Schwartz are both associate clinical professors of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Olds teaches child psychiatry, and Dr. Schwartz teaches adult psychiatry at the McLean and Massachusetts General Hospitals. They're both psychoanalysts and have written three books together. Overcoming Loneliness in Everyday Life, A Marriage in Motion, and The Lonely American. They're married to each other and have two grown children, and they each maintain a private practice in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I found them when I was watching TED Talks on the subject of human connection, and they graciously agreed to take time from their busy schedules to join me today. It's believed that in today's world, it's actually more acceptable to be depressed than be lonely, yet loneliness appears to be one of the most inevitable byproducts of our contemporary lifestyles. In one U.S. study, it was shown that one out of four Americans talked to no one about something of importance to them during the last six months, and more people are living alone today than any point in history. That's 25% of households consists of only a single person. So this topic reaches many of us. Dr. Olds and Dr. Schwartz joined me from their home in Massachusetts. Let's check out my conversation with these two amazing experts, which I must say was not only extremely enjoyable, but very informative. Hi, Dr. Olds. Hi, Dr. Schwartz. Welcome to the show. What a pleasure. Great. Thank Great to you. see you again. Well, Dr. Schwartz, we had you on the show around Valentine's Day. We were talking about love, and we also brushed on loneliness. And now you've got your wife and fellow researcher and co-author um, with you today, because today we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the topic of loneliness. And this is where you guys spend a lot of your time. You've written several books on it, and you've done lots of talks on it. Dr. Olds, what is loneliness?
1: Well, there are two ways to think of loneliness. One is that it's kind of solitude who's, that's gone too far when it starts to hurt and feel like you're having the sensation that everybody else is more connected than you and you're constantly being left out, that is when solitude stops being comfortable and starts being loneliness. But it's also true that people, when they're in the midst of what looks like a crowd or they live in a situation with lots of people around and they feel much less connected with everybody else than they think the other people do, they can feel lonely even though they've got people around. And you would think to yourself, how can they
0: be? Mm-hmm. I, I could believe that. When I, was, when I was 21 years old or 20 years old, I moved to New York City. Huge city, but didn't know a soul. And one of the loneliest times of my life. Dr. Schwartz, how, how can someone tell if they're lonely? Because again, your environment may not dictate it. It may be a personal experience. Actually, uh, mostly it's easy to tell
2: because loneliness is a kind of evolutionarily useful feeling that signals us that we, we need to do something more to, uh, to connect with people. So most of the time, it's pretty easy to recognize. But it's also true that uh, with, with all emotions, whether or not you're raised to understand them and label them makes a difference. And there are, there, there are people who grow up just not knowing what loneliness is, not knowing what to call it when they feel it, and not knowing that that's what they're feeling when, uh, when, when it's happening. And actually, one of the things that first got us interested in uh, loneliness as a subject was we began to realize that lots of patients were coming to see us complaining of depression, which seemed to be a good and acceptable way to describe their distress. But th- what they were really talking about was loneliness.
0: It's interesting. Yeah. You can be alone or you can be lonely. I remember I've been camping by myself before and been completely content because it's a beautiful thing and I chose to be there. But Dr. Olds, what is the real difference between the two, between being alone and being lonely?
1: Solitude or aloneness. A, there's somewhat of a sense that you may have chosen it. And B, there's the sense that it will be alleviated in good time, that you will get back to the people you love or the people you like that it isn't going to go on indefinitely. Loneliness, you don't have that certitude that you're gonna get back into connection again. And furthermore, you don't necessarily have the sense that you chose it.
0: Right, okay, so on that same lines, what are the causes of people being lonely? Is it something that can develop over time or is it purely a function of just your current circumstances?
1: Well, I think what's interesting about it and why we wrote a couple of books on loneliness is that everybody experiences loneliness at some point in their life. There's no way to avoid loneliness. And if you're just talking about left out feelings and transient feelings of being lonely, that happens to most people maybe uh, once or twice a week. Mm -hmm. You know, It's not like it never happens once you're in good connection with people. You might feel a little twinge when you see that they're nine hours ahead of you where you're gonna have to entertain yourself and you can't (laughs) depend on someone else. When they move, like as you were just talking about moving, when you go to a brand new place where you don't know anybody, of course you're lonely. And there's not much, even the most socially skilled people can't avoid it. You have to be able to go through it and work your way out of it.
0: Right. Okay. So I, I want to talk about some of those techniques because that's really important for people. One of the things we talked about the last show is that sometimes people don't invite it into their life and they expect other people to make them feel welcome. But I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Dr. Schwartz, for a second. You, you said that you work with patients. You guys are both psychiatrists, so you're working with patients and they don't realize that they're actually lonely. How can you recognize it if you're not a trained expert like yourselves and recognize that maybe somebody I know is, is a little too lonely these days?
2: Basically, you hear people talking about a sense of being left out. Is usually what uh, uh, what people uh, talk about uh, without identifying it as a lonely feeling. This, the sense that uh, other people are, are going about their lives, leaving you apart, and you begin to hear that theme and and and, and begin to to recognize it as a, a sort of common feeling of distress that you know happens actually more in modern life than it ever used to because people are doing what you did, moving to a new city where they don't know anybody or having people move away in, in, in ways that uh, human beings never used to over m- most of history.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, I mean, this, it's such a broad topic. You guys wrote a book on it. Uh, Dr. Schwartz, maybe tell me about the book that you guys wrote, and then I'm going to throw it over you to Dr. and You can tell us about some of the talks that you guys gave on the subject as well.
2: Uh, we, we actually wrote two books. We wrote an a earlier book, uh, Overcoming Loneliness in Everyday Life, And then more recently wrote a book called The Lonely American, Drifting Apart in the 21st Century, uh, which was uh, more of a broader sociologic view. Uh, The first one was more on, my gosh, people
0: are lonely and don't know what to do about it hmm And so some of the main themes in that were that it is something that's relatively new, but also it's something that's kind of universal. If you think about the United States, it's a huge, huge country, the biggest countries in the world, and such a diverse group of individuals. What were some of the real main recurring themes that you sort of uh, evaluated in that?
1: Well, one thing that we felt was somewhat at fault is that individualism sort of creeps into everything about American training, so to speak. You know, you go to... School and from the earliest times you hear about the lonesome heroes and you hear about, you know, cowboys or you hear a little house on the prairie. And it's all about people who have to cope with loneliness. And when America started as a country, it was made up of tiebreakers who left the old world where everybody scratched each other's back, so to speak, to coming to live on live in a much more isolated surrounding where they didn't know people. So individualism became a very positive American value, which we think has kind of gone too far. And in some ways, as America has grown more prosperous, people tend to live alone more and more, which isn't necessarily the best thing for them, medically, for example.
0: That makes sense. And there's more space. I mean, you go to Europe and everything is on top of each other. The community is there. People live in smaller houses, smaller cars, smaller everything. And you can have big, sprawling places. And where I live in Newfoundland, there's literally thousands of kilometers per person. We have a half million people in a place the size of Texas. So it's just massive. And so I could see that.
2: One one of the uh, remarkable changes over the last century in this country, and it's happening in other parts of the world as well, is that even when people are all packed together in the city, uh, the way people are living is more and more isolated. One Mm -hmm. one of the biggest transformations uh, shown by US census data uh, over the last century is uh, the number of households that consist of one pe- one person living alone has just skyrocketed. That is, uh, and of course, people are doing that partly because that's what they want to do. So people are are actually seeking out uh, this more isolated state, and and, uh, and in many ways enjoying it, but ending up feeling lonely in ways that they they don't expect to.
1: And COVID just you know escalated that by a factor of ten to hundred.
0: Well, now you're in a small apartment that you can only afford by yourself It's small. You're in a skyscraper somewhere. You can't see people. It's tough. Now I have a question. I'm going to go a little bit off what we had talked about before, but like, has the pursuit of materialism sort of made people I keep smaller households? I can't have children. I don't have time. I've got to accomplish things or I'm going to you know, accumulate more things. I've got to get ahead of my career. How has that changed things, Jackie?
1: Well, I have worked with lots of college students. One of the worries I had when I would listen to their goals for the future was they'd say, I want an apartment or a house of my own. And they didn't say with somebody else. They didn't say with my partner. They basically wanted to have everything their way. Mm -hmm. And it just depressed the hell out of me, actually, (laughs) because it seemed to me that it was, you know, something that people who had maybe never had an experience of loneliness wouldn't quite realize how isolating it can be to live in your own small apartment having everything your way but no company to enjoy it with
0: yeah yeah sometimes it's nice to have somebody say I don't want to put that there (laughs) (laughs) I like that that's a good thing we're talking with Dr. Jacqueline Olds and Dr. Richard Schwartz who are both Harvard Medical School professors and clinical psychiatrists about their work understanding the impact of loneliness on our health we'll be right back after this break Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Jacqueline Olds and Dr. Richard Schwartz, who are both Harvard Medical School professors, clinical psychiatrists, and authors of Overcoming Loneliness in Everyday Life, A Marriage in Motion, and The Lonely American. We're talking about their work that understands the impact of loneliness on our health. Let's check it out. Okay, so we'll go I'd go to social media now. Uh, Dr. Schwartz, how has the online digital world changed things? Everybody's got thousands of friends now and lots of likes. And all, there's tons of information about how social media has sort of just permeated all aspects of our culture. Has that made people more lonely?
2: It, it's had um, mixed effects. It's made some people more lonely and some people less lonely. One of the ways in which it's made people less lonely is uh, that there are people, we were talking about, illnesses or conditions that uh, make people feel st- separate and apart, the internet has allowed uh, people who, who are in some way different from their neighbors to find groups in which they are closely connected, that are geographically uh, distributed, but, but, but are, are very strong and a, a, a great source of uh, sense of connection and decreasing loneliness. But for most of the rest of the world, I think the, the simplest thing is to say it, it's, it's made our social networks much larger and much, much shallower at the same time. That there isn't a a sense of depth of a connection, but there are lots of people who you can uh, reach out to in some, uh, some superficial way.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, it wasn't for technology, we wouldn't be having a chat here today and be connected. So I could I could reach out to experts anywhere in the world, which is great. Uh, but Dr. Dr. Olds, like you said about community, this is this is really interesting. And then you guys talk about the, the urbanization of things. Now that people don't have to be friends with their neighbors, is community being impacted that way? Because, I mean, I remember growing up as a kid, I knew all my neighbors and we all they were all involved in all the family events. But it doesn't seem to be the case anymore.
1: I think you're underlining something incredibly important, which is that people can't rely upon an actual small geographic locale for their network. And people so often in our country don't know their neighbors, which I think is a terrible loss. One of the hidden advantages to writing two books on loneliness was that we became much better connected after we wrote about all the terrible consequences of loneliness. So now we see ourselves practically as the, you know, the older folks who have to bring all the young people who move into the neighborhood in you know, some kind of gathering so they get to know each other's names because there's such a comfort derived from knowing who your neighbors are and knowing that if there was an emergency, you could run over to the neighbor's house.
0: Yeah, that's so true. It's funny. I just moved into a new place. Next door is a friend of mine for 20 years. Somebody was walking by the other day and I knew them. And they came back to see my shed. So, you know, that is such a nice thing. Yes. It's, it's really and, and you know and that, that makes a, a big difference, I think, for people as well. We, we sort of brushed on the pandemic. Uh, the pandemic is is starting to see some signs of hope for things opening up. People getting vaccinated, especially in the United States where you are, and Canada's coming along really quick now. They talk about an economic boom after something like a pandemic. Is there going to be a social boom? because a lot of people probably realize they gotta work on their connection more. Do you, do you see that coming?
2: I hope that's coming. And uh, certainly we see signs of it, uh, along with some people who have gotten into uh, a a sort of habit of fearfulness about too much contact, who are are hanging back from uh, reconnecting, even though uh, it probably is
0: safe to do that. That's right.
1: You know, there is something about COVID that works as a kind of reset for everything in life and maybe people who didn't think it was so precious to see other people face-to-face will come to appreciate how incredibly precious it is. Right, you. I, I,
0: you, you were saying that you you both learned this, I'll throw this to both of you, as a result of, uh, of writing this book of to work on your own connectivity in your community what are some things people can do? Because in the last interview, you had such a great point saying people are like, I'm lonely, but they don't invite people over. They don't reach out to people. So what can people do? I'll throw it to whoever wants to take that one.
1: So I have a metaphor that I use with people a lot. And sometimes they get it. And sometimes they probably think I'm off my rocker, but it's the beacon tower metaphor that we are all like little beacon towers, you know, those very tall towers that have lights at the top. And everybody is kind of surveying the horizon to see whose Beacon Tower is going off with a signal that they matter. Mm-hmm. So every time you get a small text or a hello or a big smile on the street or a you know little group email, you need to treat that as a signal that you respond to. In some way, you take the next turn and say, thanks so much for sending me that text. I really appreciate it. Or, you know, yeah, I'll come to that meeting. And so if you keep that dialogue between Beacon Towers going, That's excellent. But if somebody gets feeling depressed or too needy or doesn't want anybody to know how desperately lonely they are and they make their beacon tower go silent, the light goes off then everybody assumes that they don't matter to that person anymore. They don't think uh, the person is going silent because they're feeling bad or they're feeling needy. They assume that the other person has better fish to fry. So you have to keep that dialogue going between that, the beacon towers that make up every person.
0: That's so, it's so interesting. I, I've gotten to a different stage in my life where I've had such amazing people that have really been like, really matter to me. And earlier this year, I kind of made a list of those people because I realized that I hadn't talked to some of them for like months or even longer in some cases, but they were extremely important. One of them was my best friend. And, and I was like, I haven't talked to this guy for like eight months. I need to connect, you know? So is there is there some other things that people can do? Like if they're if they want to start and be like, okay, how do I assess this?
2: Well, well, one of the things that uh, is a great story about how to do this is in uh, Benjamin Franklin's autobiography. Um, and he, uh, he talks about uh, when he was getting into politics, there was some uh, uh, wealthy man in Philadelphia who was an adversary in some way who he wanted to get on his side. And uh, this man had uh, a, a wonderful private library. Uh, so he asked the man whether he could borrow a book from this library that he couldn't get anyplace else. Uh, the man lent him the book, and having been able to do him a favor, became his friend. And, um, and uh, so one of the things when you're moving into uh, communities where you don't know anybody uh, that, uh, that actually is a, a good way to go is to ask people for favors or help or to borrow something, and that begins a, a, a connection and... Uh, and a sort of reciprocity. And um, actually uh, people feel close to people who they can help also. So that uh, that has always been an inspiring story to me.
0: I think that's so funny. I I interview such a broad broad variety of people. And one of my friends had a glioblastoma and he's got terminal cancer, but he's had this amazing philosophy towards life. And he said that a lot of people got help during the pandemic. And this year, if they don't need help, they should give help. You know what I mean? And if they can't give help, then give love because it does connect people together. And that's how he was able to stay connected. Actually, you've probably heard of the CN Tower. It's going gray this year. And he's just one person on the other side of the country that was able to, to bring that and again because he reached out and asked for help people gave him help and he Mm -hmm. feels it you know it's been a a huge thing for him so we're in a place in newfoundland and you might have heard of the broadway show come from away so that's about the planes that landed in newfoundland after 9 11 and how the newfoundlanders welcome people in people that come here are called come from away so i was a come from away and it can be a difficult situation it's a very unique culture how can people integrate themselves? They can help, but are there some other things that they can do to sort of get engaged in a new culture if maybe for their new citizen or new to the community?
1: Well, I think what's so interesting and uh, Richard came up with this idea, which we were sometimes living, but we didn't know we were living it, which is that if you have a mutual mission of any sort, it can be, you know, I'm going to beautify the center medium strip on the highway, or it can be, Uh, We're all going to watch out for each other's garages because we have bicycles in there. Or it can be, you know, we're going to carpool together when we go into the city. Mm -hmm. But whatever the mutual plan is, if you meet with people regularly and there's a group of them, chances are as time goes by and it takes longer than everybody thinks, you will become friends with some of those people. Mm -hmm. But you do have to have a number of mutual groups that meet regularly and they don't have to be anything complicated. It doesn't mean you have to get into the social club that matters. It means you can form a little group of people who love collecting wildflowers.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, we have a beach clean up here where people get together every year. And now it's just a thing we do every year. We just know that it's going to happen in the spring when the snow melts. So uh, that's that's big. Another thing is happening here is that communities are getting smaller. Uh, so there's an urban sort of migration a lot of the time. And birth rates are down across all North America. But we were from a very Irish Catholic place. where People had families of 12 children. And now the average birth rate per household is 0.5. And so the, the communities that were rural, some of them are turning into tourist houses but other ones are shrinking dramatically. And so, you know, what people were used to, a vibrant community is not so uh, anymore. How can people in those communities that aren't ready to move to an urban center or don't need to, or don't want to, for whatever reason, how can they maintain their sense of community and, and, and combat loneliness when it's a little slower pace than it used to be?
2: That really is a, a very hard question. And, uh, and and I don't think there uh, that anybody really knows the answer to it, but there are certainly uh, things that, that you can do, which is to, uh, to try to make sure that, that people are gathering more together regularly and are involved in more mutual projects or, 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 or mutual interests. And you, you have to work at building them because a lot of the institutions that, uh, that have been connecting people start to sort of get thin and fray as, as people are moving away. And uh, you know, it really is a, a big struggle.
1: What is that incredible town in Washington state that became a Swiss town?
2: Oh, uh, uh, Leavenworth. Leavenworth. Have you heard
1: about this?
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm going to find out and we're going to share it.
1: Well, I think it's called Leavenworth. but Yeah, it's the same
2: as the prison, but it's not the prison. So it's a
1: little town in Washington state that we once visited. But what was absolutely incredible about it is that it was sort of going downhill, and the population was getting smaller and smaller. And the town board of selectmen, although they had some different name there, decided they had to do something completely different. Mm. And they reformed themselves as a Swiss town. Right. <laughs> so it lo- they did all the architecture over again. They did you know mm. little Swiss bakeries and little, and they had, the hotels had hunting horns, and they wore <clears throat> Swiss outfits later hosen it's the strangest thing you've ever seen but it worked it, yeah. like it was an old mining and logging
2: town that reinvented itself in this curious way I'm not sure that that, that should be duplicated everywhere yeah but. right <laughs> it, it sort
1: of shows if you use imagination and now they have lots of tourists who come through every year it's mm-hmm. totally a booming town and everybody loves it instead of going to your
0: that's amazing. Well, it's, uh, we have a place, Fogo Island Inn, which was named one of the best hotels in the entire world, always frequented mm-hmm. by celebrities. It's in the middle. It's very isolated. And then we've that's got other house? towns. Uh, Fogo Island. Fogo Island um, Inn. It's gorgeous. It,
1: there?
0: Oh, there you go. It's a stunning so place. It's <laughs> in the edge of the pla- earth. The Flat Earth Society says it's one of the corners. And, uh, and you know, and we've got other towns like that, which we've, we've been seeing more of. We're talking with Dr. Jacqueline Olds and Dr. Richard Schwartz, who are both Harvard Medical School professors and clinical psychiatrists about their work understanding the impact of loneliness on our health. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Jacqueline Olds and Dr. Richard Schwartz, who are both Harvard Medical School professors, clinical psychiatrists, and authors of Overcoming Loneliness in Everyday Life, A Marriage in Motion, and The Lonely American. We're talking about their work that understands the impact of loneliness on our health. Let's check it out. I want to shift over now real quick to two different demographics. First, children, then talk about seniors. But are you seeing more loneliness in children these days? Because I know that rates of depression in kids are going up. Is that, is that associated in any way?
1: Well, it depends on the age. And yes, for older children, depression is going up. Basically, if you look at child development, round about six, seven, eight, and going up, friendship becomes more and more important, and parents and nuclear family becomes less important. So the more important friends are, the more COVID hit really hard. For little tiny children, you know, who are like three through five or one through five, they have a very small social circle and it's mostly their family. So they were in heaven. They didn't have to go off to school at 7 a.m. and be dropped off with, you know, other children who didn't play with them nearly as well as their mommy and daddy. Right. (laughs) So uh, I think that the older children have gotten very lonely and many of them, there's a much greater rate of depression than there has been for years, even though it was crawling up even before COVID. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And social pressure these days is so enormous. I mean, I'm from the fitness world. I am so glad that I started my career before Instagram and all these other things that set these unrealistic expectations of what you have to be. That really isn't the truth. Uh, and a lot of times, Dr. Schwartz, if, if I was a parent and I was concerned that maybe my teenager was experiencing some loneliness that could become a little bit not safe or not healthy for them. How would I recognize that?
2: Well. It would probably just look like your teenager moping around mm. and uh, being in a somewhat irritable mood, and uh, and you would need to uh, talk to your teenager about uh, about the fact that uh, this has been so isolating, and and think through whether what what you can do about it, and whether there are ways uh, that uh, that you can help the teenager to uh, to have some sort of connection outdoors or or however with a with their peers and keep them from being so isolated. It's too easy to just drift into that state and think that you're okay just on social media, but but you're not.
1: What's so paradoxical is that many adolescents who've gotten depressed because they're so isolated, isolate themselves in their rooms even more from their parents. And so their parents think, okay, well, I guess we're, you know, chopped liver now, and they have bigger fish to fry, but really they're very unhappy in there and they need to be drawn out of their rooms. And they, you know, what's interesting is that child psychiatry has continued to flourish on Zoom, Mm. even though people can't come right to the doctor's office for a while.
0: Right, well, the kid's beacons off and the parents think that they're not important, right? Like you said, yeah. Good. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. And and then there's another side of the equation too, is that there's, there's elderly people, you know, and sometimes they they lose their partner and maybe there's some of their independence because they can't function the way they used to. Have you had a lot of experience with people going into assisted living or being part of a community like that? Because I know some people are resistant to lose that, but I got to think that maybe that community could be beneficial for people in some cases.
2: Community can be uh, life-saving and transforming for people as they get older and uh, because of physical limitations and mobility limitations and deaths of, uh, of local friends end up being uh, uh, remarkably isolated in places that they used to have a, a, a thriving sense of connection. And one of the ways uh, that, that you can do something about that is to move to some sort of uh, assisted or independent living community where it becomes much easier to be geographically connected with people and see people on a regular basis, even though uh, the transition to it is uh, it, it, it is pretty awful at times. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's a real struggle, uh, sort of like uh, entering a new new high school and trying to make friends. But once you get through that, it, it, it really uh, can uh, bring people back to life in many ways. Although that sure hasn't been true during the pandemic when in many of these communities, uh, 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 elderly people have ended up isolated at their own room or apartment.
0: That that, is terrible. That is. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so the positives coming out of this will definitely be better than the situation we were in when we were all, you know, connecting. There was such a vulnerable population. While common definitions of loneliness describe it as a state of solitude or being alone, loneliness is actually a state of mind. Loneliness is defined by researchers as feeling lonely more than once a week. Now, loneliness causes people to feel empty, alone, and unwanted. People who are lonely often crave human contact, but their state of mind makes it more difficult to form connections with other people. Loneliness, according to many experts, is not necessarily about being alone. Instead, if you feel alone and isolated, and that's how loneliness plays into our state of mind. For example, you could be a college freshman that feels lonely despite being surrounded by peers and students when you get back to school. Or it could be a soldier being deployed overseas, even though they're surrounded by their fellow troops. But can also be as simple as being at home and having community around you, but not feeling engaged and being a part of it. The factors that contribute to loneliness include situational variables like physical isolation, which we've all experienced recently. Moving to a new location, ending of a relationship, a death of someone significant in a person's life can also lead to these feelings. Additionally, it can be a symptom of depression. Loneliness can also be attributed to internal factors such as low self-esteem. People who lack confidence in themselves often believe they're unworthy of the attention of other people, which can lead to isolation and chronic loneliness. Well, this is a health show, so we've got to talk about the health risks associated with loneliness. Loneliness has a wide range of negative effects on both our physical and mental health, including increased use of alcohol and drugs, alter brain function, increased incidence of Alzheimer's disease progression, antisocial behavior, cardiovascular disease and stroke, decreased memory and learning, depression and suicide, increased stress levels, and poor decision-making. But these aren't the only areas that loneliness can take its toll. Lonely adults tend to get less exercise than those that aren't lonely, their diet is higher in fat, and their sleep is less efficient, and they report more daytime fatigue. Loneliness can disrupt the regulation of cellular processes deep within the body predisposing us to fatigue and premature aging. So loneliness isn't good for our bodies and it isn't good for our minds. Let's get back to Dr. Olds and Dr. Schwartz to tell us more about how we can foster real connection in our lives. I know we're winding down here soon, but anything you want to leave people with when it comes to like, you know, if if we've talked a lot about the different recognitions and and things they can do, but any sort of last words of of advice for people that may be dealing with loneliness?
1: Well, Don't assume that if you're feeling lonely, that somehow means you're a loser. Mm -hmm. That is just not true. Everybody experiences it at some time or other. And there are circumstantial reasons that we all have to put up with loneliness sometimes. And just when you think, okay, I'm in such bad shape that I don't want anyone to see me or talk to me, that's exactly the time you should make that anxiety provoking phone call and reach out to people. And even say, I actually one of my favorite patients who was going through a very difficult divorce and felt horribly lonely, used to call up her old friends and say, I need somebody to babysit for me. And it worked perfectly. Her friends you know, came much closer. They loved being called upon to help her uh, through this difficult time, but they never would have thought of intruding if she hadn't asked.
0: Right, right. And Dr. Schwartz? Uh,
2: I, I can't do better than that.
0: <laughs> Perfect. And maybe it's find a really great partner as well that you guys can jive with. Uh, uh, thank you so much for taking the time today, guys. There's so much I could talk to you about. I mean, I might be knocking on your door again sometime in the future, but thank you so much for, for sharing your expertise. With everybody today it's such an important topic and great to see you.
1: It's great
0: Great to see you. you. That was Dr. Jacqueline Olds and Dr. Richard Schwartz, who are both Harvard Medical School professors and clinical psychiatrists. They shared the many ways that loneliness impacts our health. Now, when we come back, we'll talk with Brianna Angel, coordinator of community health at the Canadian Red Cross. She'll share some information about a new program they're offering called Friendly Calls. The Friendly Calls program connects trained volunteers with isolated Canadians to provide social connection to those who are feeling isolated and lonely. We'll learn more about this right after the break, so stick around. Welcome back. Joining us now is Brianna Angel, who's the Community Health Coordinator for the Canadian Red Cross. She's going to share some important information about a new program they're offering called Friendly Calls. The Friendly Calls program connects trained volunteers with isolated Canadians to provide social connections to those that are feeling isolated and lonely. Let's hear more about this program from Brianna. Hi, Bri. Welcome to the show.
3: Thanks for having me, Mike.
0: Oh, it's great. We, we, you reached out recently and you we were talking about loneliness, which is the topic that we kind of talked on before. We had a great episode today talking to Dr. Schwartz and, and Dr. Olds on the topic. You work with the Canadian Red Cross and you have a new program to combat loneliness in uh, our community. Can you tell me a bit about that?
3: Yeah, for sure. So the Red Cross has started this program called Friendly Calls. It actually um, originated with a big donation from Bell Let's Talk. And they saw a gap and, and some real need for people to connect during COVID because of, you know, isolation. And they just realized that people needed just those a phone call and some companionship. So the Red Cross has launched the Friendly Calls program, and it's exactly that. It's participants who are feeling isolated and maybe just need a little bit of a phone call from volunteers who we have recruited and brought on, and they essentially just meet and over the phone once a week and kind of fill that gap and and help that loneliness.
0: So yeah, that's, that's a huge thing. I mean, what are some of the challenges specific to COVID, but also what are some of the challenges or things you're seeing here at home in our province?
3: So what we're seeing, especially where we're unable to travel and I mean, Newfoundland started that, you know, way back in, I think it was April with the travel restrictions. So we're seeing a lot of people who live here and potentially their families live elsewhere and they're unable to get here and they're n- not able to have those visits. So this is it's 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 unique. It's not just unique to Newfoundland, but we, we've we really realized that a lot of people are living away and they're worried about their their grandmother, their mother, whatever that looks like, whoever that is still here and not being able to make that contact. So this is a way of someone checking in on them and just having these social conversations and just, and, and helping again, just with that isolation and that loneliness.
0: That's right. Well, I was talking to my mother today. Uh, she lives in New Brunswick. It's been over a year and a half since I've seen her. You know, you keep on thinking it's going to be okay. Then you can make a trip and book it, but it gets canceled. And fortunately, we both have a sense of community around us. But it does, you can see how people could, could be missing those loved ones, especially if they don't have that ability to connect. How was the program developed? Who was involved? You know, what were the moving parts?
3: So it started off with a very generous donation from Bell Let's Talk and they gave this money to the Red Cross and they implemented this. So it's going strong and I'll just give you a little bit of program impacts in Atlantic Canada. Uh, So there's 196 participants served and that's within a year, Um, 126 active volunteers and we have people come in through the pipeline every single day. In fact, I just um, interviewed two people today. 4,300 calls were made in the last year. And it's 1100 volunteer service hours. Wow. So that's huge. That, th- those are these are gaps that definitely need to be filled. And uh, the Red Cross and Bell, Bell Let's Talk, they saw this and, and this is where they put their, their money. And I, I can't think of a better spot right now.
0: Okay, so we'll take it from two sides here. So we'll talk about the volunteer side after, but say I was somebody who's looking to avail of this. I I could use some company. I'm a bit lonely. I I think this program sounds right for me. How does it work? How do I get involved?
3: Absolutely. So if you are looking to become a participant of the Friendly Calls, what you would do is you'd call the Red Cross, and the number is 1-833-729-0144, and we'll go over this again. There's someone that's going to be answering the calls between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Um, Newfoundland standard time and they'll get all your information and at that point they will send that information to the coordinator of whatever province and we're talking about Newfoundland and, and Labrador so we'll come to me and then I will set that participant up with a volunteer and the volunteers there's training that they have to go through there's screening there's reference checks and there's orientation so so they're very vetted and they are eager and wanting to to definitely connect with these isolated people and uh, some of the things that we asked during the intake are um, preferred language. We're able to, I actually have some volunteers. I think right now we have nine or 10 languages that we can actually offer, which is amazing. Uh, we ask about their living living arrangements, their hobbies and their interests, and their preferred time and their frequency of calls. Because we want to try to make sure that we set them up with a volunteer who is able to speak to them? At, you know, I know the, a lot of the volunteers. They have full time jobs and whatnot, so we're we're very mindful of their time and and when they're able to make these calls.
0: That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, it's funny. One of the things that Dr. Schwartz and Dr. Rolls recommended was even if, uh, if you are only to get involved and help. And so there could be a way for somebody to, to benefit on both ends of the spectrum. I'm sure the people that are having these great conversations with people that are subscribed to the program are also getting a lot out of it. If I was a volunteer and I wanted to get involved, how could I get in contact with your team?
3: So to volunteer, you go on the Red Cross website and it will have a link to volunteer. And for the list of programs, you can go to Friendly Call, Program, Volunteer, Mm -hmm. and then it will populate. You can pick what province and fill that out. And again, that will come to me. And then you go through the process. From start to finish with volunteers, I would say it's taking about three weeks from the time that you apply to the time that you'll be paired with the participant. And for Participants. I mean, they might call and self refer, or maybe someone that they know refer them, and they could have a, a volunteer by the end of the week. So it's 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 moving pretty fast, and we have it's really exciting because we have a lot of volunteers, and I speak to these people um, every single volunteer that comes through for um, for Newfoundland and Labrador. I speak to them, and they're just amazing people, and with so much experience, and they're very worldly. So it's really neat. It's uh, it's nice. a really cool program so what are the things
0: you're what are the things you're seeing so you know you expect to be some goals i'm sure you're trying to help those people that are that are reaching out but what are some of the expected outcomes and what are some of the stories that you've heard from people
3: when i connect with clients because as i do i'll call them you know every couple months and just just say how are things going how's the program going what i'm finding is some really awesome connections we had one participant and another volunteer who are both authors and the volunteer actually helped the participants publish her book. And nice. she gave her so many different, so just the connections are amazing. and, Also resources. I know that one volunteer reminding their, their participant, don't forget to sign up for your, for your vaccine. And, Mm -hmm. and there was another gentleman, he needed some dental work done and he didn't have any benefits. So he was asking the volunteer, where could I, where might I be able to go for this? And of course the volunteer reached out to me and I was able to find some resources for this gentleman. So I think it's just connecting these, these people also with with, with a community that maybe they, they haven't been involved in because of COVID and because of isolation. So it's just, it's just helping them navigate their community.
0: That's amazing. And I'm sure every conversation will start off just like they do in Newfoundland a lot, like who, where are you from and who do you know? And, and before people know it, they're probably connected on a bunch of levels they never even thought of. Well, it's
3: funny you say that because I just actually had a, um, a volunteer who's moving back from Toronto and she was interested in the, in, in the program and she made her first call and wouldn't, you know, they're related. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know, and, and that's, I mean, of course we're, we're in Newfoundland and Labrador, so that's, what's going to happen. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty funny. And it's, it's, it it speaks volumes of the program too, like, uh, and, and our community, to be honest.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, it's such an important thing. Uh, we're starting to see some light at the end of the horizon, but a lot of people are reacquainting themselves with other people and getting out and being social again, which is a great thing. So let's go over those numbers again. If I wanted to get involved in the program so people listening can reach out to you.
3: Absolutely. So the number to get involved as a participant is one eight three three. And again, that's from 9am until 5pm Newfoundland time, Monday to Friday, they can enroll. And if they want to become a volunteer, you go online and go through the Red Cross and there should be a link for apply now for the programs and you'll choose a friendly call program.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for reaching out to bring this program to my attention for anybody else there listening. And you have a great program that you want to share. Please feel free to reach out anytime. That's how we connected, but it was great to see you. And thanks for doing this program.
3: Thanks so much, Mike.
0: Thank you to Dr. Olds and Dr. Schwartz for joining me today and sharing such important information. As we start to integrate our lives and the number of socially isolated individuals and families continues to balloon in size, it's even more important than ever to understand the effects of a culture that idealizes busyness and self-reliance. We've all learned that loneliness is a very real and little-discussed social epidemic with frightening consequences. We need to find ways to navigate the tension between freedom and connection in our lives. Now, if you're struggling in need of a friendly call and want to connect, please call the Canadian Red Cross at 1-833-729-0144. That's one 1- to register as a participant. Remember to keep that beacon tower, putting out signals and inviting connection into your life. You never know. There may be other towers that light up at the sight of you reaching out. Well, that's our show this week. I'm your host, Dr. Mike wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the wellness and healthy lifestyle show on your VOCM.